My name is Calvin. I am the uh, high school director here, uh, and I am uh, very excited to share God's Word with you today. If you could open your Bible, if you have one, to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it is on your notes outline. It will be there in a moment. It will also be on the screen behind me. Uh, we are in the book of Ephesians right now. We've been doing this series, and we've called it People of the Kingdom. We've talked about who we are as God's people, and the way we've described the book of Ephesians in a simple phrase is, it's God's work for us and our walk for him. Today, I get to share the message on relating people. As you can see right here, got this beautiful piece of art that's becoming this uh, beautiful mosaic. I have to be honest, I'm a little nervous because out of this entire book of Ephesians, they give the one section on marriage to the newlywed. Um, I don't know if this is initiation or some form of a test, but uh, I've risen, and uh, God willing, this will be a, a good day. Uh, truth be told, in the one year of marriage I've had, I've probably learned more of what not to do than what to do. Uh, for instance, when you do laundry, you're supposed to do uh, everyone's clothes, not just your own. Um, Kenzie's clothes still freak me out a little bit. There's like eight holes sometimes. I don't know what to do with it. So um, I was recently talking to a friend, and he got married about two months ago, and he said, Calvin... Uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you about marriage because you prevented me from making lots of mistakes. I said, well, thank you. I'm glad I could be your um, warning device of telling you what not to do. So uh, truth be told, I, I really should be learning from a lot of you. Uh, some of you have been married 20, 30, 40 years longer than I have, and, and I should be the one sitting at your feet asking you about marriage. So uh, I just ask that you'd be patient with me, show me grace. Uh, my hope and prayer is that God will speak to you today. Uh, and that you will hear his word, not necessarily mine. So with that being said, let us uh, open up to Ephesians 5 and uh, hear God's word for us today. Ephesians 5, 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So as we read this passage, we have to be attentive, because there is a quote from the Old Testament. Verse 31 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one, or one flesh. And so Paul here is quoting Genesis 2.24. So if we want to understand what Paul is getting at, in this discussion on marriage, we've got to go back to the Genesis story. So back in Genesis 1, we see God creating the world, everything in between with spoken word. And then Genesis 2 is this 
intimate depiction of God involved with his creation. It depicts God in in verse 7 as forming the man from the dust of the ground and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So God forms man. He, He plants a garden, and he plants man within that garden. And he tells man to care for it, to sow the ground, till it, and to work. And so man gets to work caring for the garden. But soon, we, we hit a point in the story where, where something's not right. And God comes in and declares his first not good statement. This is verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So we have this really interesting point where God kind of stops and says, whoa, 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 this isn't good. And so this is your first fill-in for the day, is that people were made to be in relationship. Some of you are like, Duh, like that's an obvious thing. But we, we got to look at this a little more. It's not good that you be alone. In fact, when you are alone, you are lacking. That you need others to be truly yourself and to be more fully human. Now, some of you might be pushing me on a little bit, especially when I use the word lacking, because our culture is aggressively individualistic. We believe in the autonomy of the the self, that that you determine your own fate, you pave your own path, you determine your own existence, and relationships are nice, they they help you along the way, but they may not necessarily be necessary. But God says it's not good. And, And what happens is we bring this culture's idea of relationships and we bring it into the church. And so we focus on the individual and say, I'm just doing God and me. And maybe you've heard people say, I don't go to a church, but I have a really vibrant relationship with God. Well, if you notice, Adam is dwelling with God. He's doing the God and him thing, and yet God says it's not good. God says he he needs a helper, a partner, someone to be with him, because him being alone, not having someone, was bad. The, The best example I can think of in regards to this is the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. A plane crashes, and he's stranded on an island for four years. And without any form of relationship with anyone, he takes a volleyball and forms a relationship with a volleyball. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, but at the end of the movie, he loses the volleyball. And I don't know about you, but I cried over that scene. And I cried over a volleyball. I formed a relational connection to a volleyball. That's absurd. Another example Um, they did a a study with chimpanzees. They had them look in a mirror. And and for those chimpanzees that were raised in isolation from any other animals, when they looked in the mirror, they thought it was another chimpanzee. So they began to interact with this chimpanzee as if it was another creature, not knowing it was their own reflection. Well, when they took the mirror and put it up to chimpanzees that had lived in a community of chimpanzees, the chimpanzees immediately recognized the reflection as their own and began to groom themselves. So what we see from this is that when you are in relationship, 
you understand who you are. That is together that we fully more come to know ourselves. So we need people. It is not good that you be alone. And so when we hear this, we usually say, well, then God made Eve. And that's absolutely true. But I think we miss kind of a humorous part of this story. Verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So my question is, where were they looking for a helper? If there was not a helper found, where were they looking? Well, the answer is the animals. Is that as God was forming these animals, he's bringing them to Adam to say, hey, is this going to be, is this going to be a friend for you? Are you going to be able to hang out with this person? A student I was talking about, he's like, Adam was speed dating with the animals. <laughs> like, brings the animal, God's like, hey, what do you call that one? He's like, I call it giraffe. How's that? He's like, it's too tall. I can't, there's no eye contact. There's no, I can't connect with this animal. Well, how about that one over there? I call it dog. I think it could be my best friend, but um, no bladder control. You know, I'd love to not be picking up after it when I'm hanging out with it. And so at this point in the story, it seems like Adam's going to be alone, that none of the animals are fit for him. But that doesn't thwart God. So God puts Adam to sleep and God puts on his doctor hat. He cuts him open, pulls out a rib, and, and fashions woman out of this rib. Now, from Adam's perspective, he was just taking a nap, probably long, hard day of work, naming the animals. You know, the giraffes were getting out of control. So he wakes up, and there standing in front of him is this woman. And he hasn't seen her yet. Where, where did she come from? And, and she's standing there in her God-created beauty, just naked. And ever since, men have been taking naps, hoping for the same outcome. <laughs> and I don't know if you know this, but most men, that's why they're grumpy when they first wake up from a nap, because it didn't happen. And if some of you men are sleeping in here, that's not cool, man. That's, do it, that's home. But, but seriously, Adam wakes up, and he sees this woman, and he bursts into song. And he said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for out of her, or she was taken out of man. And so Adam rejoices in this relationship. He sings her a song. And then scripture has the verse that Paul quoted, Genesis 2:24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And so Adam or the man sees in this woman his perfect counterpart his compliment, and he realizes that this is the match. And their relationship, it kind of culminates in a wedding ceremony that unites in a sexual union. And, and what sex is a reflection of is that they become one person in mind, body, spirit, and flesh. And so sex is a reflection of the unity that happens in marriage. Now you're all like, oh, I knew the new Leo was going to talk about sex. But, but it's part of the story. And we got to take this seriously because when, when people are joined together in that physical union, there's something mystical and magical and mysterious happening. And our culture treats sex so casually that you can just, it's a physical act and God is just a killjoy keeping you from having fun. No, it, there's a mystical thing happening. So when you unite in flesh, you're uniting in spirit. 
And if that happens outside the bonds of absolute commitment, there's a danger that the unity that God intended for marriage to display will be destroyed. Man and woman, they find in each other a perfect unity and union. And I wish the story ended here because then I wouldn't have to preach anymore and I could, we could all go home and have a great day. But after Genesis 2 comes Genesis 3. And, and the man and the woman, in an act of rebellion against God, they turn from him. And because of their disobedience, there are consequences. And in verse uh, 3.16, God speaks to the woman. He says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So this relationship that was first perfect unity, there was harmony, they matched, they were one, is now characterized by power and control and manipulation. Is that the woman's desire is to master her husband. Her desire is to be over him, but he will be over her. She will resent that. And so what was Unity becomes disunity. What was whole becomes fractured and broken. So when Paul quotes Genesis 2, he's got this whole story in mind. So we've got to go into Ephesians with this perspective in mind. So Ephesians 5. Now on your notes outline, the first one, the second one is wives. We're going to switch it around. And we're going to start with husbands first. So Your next fill-in is husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, straight out of the text. And the reason I'm starting with men today is because, husbands, I think when you understand your role in the relationship, the woman's role will easily follow. Oftentimes, we focus on the woman first and say, submit, and it seems like the men are getting off the hook. So men, we're going to start with you today, and then women, we'll talk as well. Um, Paul's command to, to husbands love their wives is a radical command, a high, high calling. In that culture and day and age, it was expected that a woman would submit to a man. That was what people, was obviously the cultural perspective, that, oh, women submitted, and the only obligation that men had was to provide for their wife. So as long as they cared for her needs and somehow that she didn't starve or anything, the man could do whatever he wanted. So Paul to say, husbands, love your wives, was was a foreign idea to that culture. But even more, Paul doesn't just say love your wives. He says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He died for the church. He, He gave his life. He sacrificed himself for the church. So husbands, your call is to give your life for the sake of your wife. As one scholar put it, he said, a husband's love for his wife should be so broad, so deep, so long, so wide, so high, that it involves the sacrifice of his own social prestige, his own well-being, his very life for the sake of his wife. Husbands, your call is to service and sacrifice. Now, our culture has this idea of authority and leadership as like a general of a ship or a CEO businessman. We have uh, 
organizational charts that have the person at the top. And that's kind of our idea of a leader, is someone who makes the decision, who directs the way, who tells everyone what to do. That is far from the biblical idea of leadership and authority. Is that leadership and authority is most exemplified in service and sacrifice. If Christ is our great leader, he was a servant. He gave his life for the sake of the church. So husbands, we've got to, we've got to, Fight the culture on this one. We've got to get away with this idea that you just make the decisions. You serve and sacrifice as an act of love for your wife. Notice, too, in the text, it says that Christ gave himself for the church to make her holy, to sanctify her, to present her holy and without blemish, without spot. So, husbands, one of your primary callings is to see that your wife grows in holiness, that she grows closer to the Lord. So this does not mean that you get to be the holiness police and be like, oh, you're messing up, fix it, make sure you're doing well. No, it, it's out of love. You urge, you guide, you, you serve and sacrifice so that she grows and falls more in love with God. It, it's about holiness and not necessarily happiness. And our culture generally says marriage is to make you happy. But what God is saying here is that marriage is about making you holy. And husbands, you play a role in your wife's holiness. Again, you're not the police, and you just tell her what to do to make her better. You don't constantly show her her faults. But out of love, you sacrifice yourself to point her to God. Notice, too, Paul says... Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. That's in verse uh, 28. Now, we can think of a situation today where someone doesn't love their body. I mean, with advertising, flaunting what the perfect body is, there are many people who are discontent with their own looks. But in that day and age, this was not really an issue. They didn't have advertising. They didn't have a picture of the perfect body. So everyone loved their bodies. Because they ate food and they exercised, they cherished themselves. So a husband is to love his wife as his own body. Now it's not saying in a manner similar to the way you care for your body, but husbands, you're to love your wife because she is you. And that's why Paul quotes Genesis 2. The two shall become one. Marriage is horrible math because one plus one equals one. So, so husbands, if you mistreat your wife, you are mistreating yourself. You are to uh, display the same amount of concern you do for your own body as you do for your wife. So think about the way you groom yourselves, men. Some of you might not groom yourself. We're working on it. Um, But for you men who do groom yourselves, think of the care at which that you take it with your own body. That's the care that you're supposed to take towards your wife. Again, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand this. But in some weird way, when you get married and you give yourself over to your spouse, they become a part of you and you become a part of them. That's why Paul says this mystery is profound. There's a oneness that's going on. So husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. If you mistreat her, you are mistreating yourself. Now, one thing I need to make note of is just as men aren't supposed to be the holiness police, husbands, you're not supposed to be the submission police either. To go around saying, wife, submit to me. 
Because truth be told, this has been a matter of concern through time, is that men have used this verse actually to abuse their wives, to justify hitting their wife, or to verbally demean them or emotionally manipulate them. Husbands, if you are doing that, I want to just call you to the floor and say, as evil. If you use this as a way to abuse your wife, how dare you? But I want to invite you and call you to repentance and say there's a new way of life. God wants to transform you. If that's happening, come talk to a pastor here. We want to work with you and see that this stops. Husbands, when you love your wife as Christ loves the church, with a sacrificial love, I don't think the command for the wife to submit is going to be hard. In fact, it'll be a joy, something that she will love to do because you are giving of yourself for her. So wives, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's our next and final fill-in, although it's in the middle. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, Wives, I know that this passage can be difficult because our culture is very patriarchal. Uh, there have been many strides that have been made for women's equality, but we're not there yet. Um, Men still dominate the workplace. Women are marginalized in there. And stay-at-home moms are not recognized for the work that they do. So our our culture, when we use this word submit, I know for a lot of women that can, can be a stumbling block. It can be a hard thing to hear. And so I really wrestled with whether or not I should even use this word. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't, want to subsid- or I don't want to censor Scripture. And what Scripture is talking about here is, is not like a subservient means, like Igor, like, yes, master, whatever you say, whatever you say. If you notice, verse 21, the submission is grounded in everyone's submission to each other. So, so verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So most of your Bibles, what they do is they split it up like this. They, they put verse 21, they say, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And the idea, what can happen is we think that Paul is starting a new thought because it's a new paragraph break. But when it was originally written, there were not verses written in or paragraph breaks. What it would have looked like was this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your husbands. The, the command for wives to submit to their husbands is grounded And the fact that we all submit to one another. We are all called to submission. And and the word submission is probably more like service. So think of it this way, that we are called to serve one another as an act of worship to God. Wives, you are called to submit to your own husband. Notice the text does not say you are to submit to every man who walks by. You're called to submit to your own husband. So we, we, as a community, we serve and submit to one another. But in your own home, your specific and higher calling of submission is to your husband, act of service to him. So your husband's friend can't come over and say, make me a sandwich and do it because you have to submit to me. No, that's not true. You, you submit specifically to your husband and then you serve the community, just as the community is to be serving one another. So it's this beautiful picture of everyone just trying to serve each other and saying, man, how can I, how can I help you? And in the marital relationship, as the husband sacrifices his life for his wife, the wife joyfully follows and submits and serves in that. Um, also, too, notice the text in verse 24 says, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, when we read this, we have to read it like a junior higher. 
Because a junior hire is going to say, in everything, what if you tell me to murder someone? That's an obvious example of you use reason, right? In everything does not mean absolute everything. So wives, if your husband says, go kill someone, don't do it. Your husband cannot uh, encourage something that contradicts what God has already declared. In everything means as everything to pursue unity, to pursue oneness. And my fear has been is that this passage, again, has been used to marginalize women and to abuse them. That it says in everything, so women, you must do whatever I say. And that is not true. Wives, you are not called to submit to any form of abuse. Abuse is abuse, and God stands against that. And so wives, if there is abuse happening in your household, and it's justified in the name of God's order of things, Please come talk to a pastor here. Uh, we will have to. We would have to report that to authority. But it's so much better that you be safe, and you don't get this wrong view of God as making you submit to abuse. That is wrong. So, wives, if that's happening, please talk to a pastor here. Let me let me close with an illustration of I think how this looks. Um, I was talking to my mom uh, a few years ago, and there was a, a possibility that she and my dad might move to North Carolina for a, a ministry position. And my mom was telling me, she's like, yeah, we might move to North Carolina. And, and I was very surprised by this because my mom is living a two-minute walk from the house she grew up in. I mean, her whole life is in Northern California. I was like, mom, do you want to do that? Like, do you want to move to North Carolina? Like, just tell dad no. And what she said, I think, stuck with me and is is so profound. She said, Calvin, I love your father. I want to be with him, and I want him to be happy. And we've talked about this, and this is obviously not my first choice. But if the Lord is calling us to North Carolina, if this is what your dad feels like God is doing, then I'm going to go with him. I want to support him and be with him. North Carolina is North Carolina. I love that is that submission for her was not just do whatever your dad says. She voiced her opinion. She expressed her concern. But at the end of the day, what was most important to her was that she and him be united, that there be unity. And really, this is what Paul is getting back. If we look at kind of the story arc of what's going on here, is that Paul is calling for a return to unity. That in Genesis 2, the union of man and woman was fractured and broken. And the relationship was defined by power and control. And Paul, in commanding husbands to love their wives, and in wives committing them to submit to their husbands, he's calling for a restoration of that unity. So it is in Christ that the original intention for man and women's relationship is restored, that unity is found again. Uh, Notice that Paul says this in Verse 31, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But then he goes even a step further. And he says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul says, It's a return to unity, but even more so, the marriage relationship is a reflection of the way that God loves us, God's relationship with us. And so the way, this is both a truth and a calling. It's true in that the way that God has orchestrated marriage, it reflects who he is, that he 
great God of love gives himself for us who are wretched sinners so that we, by grace, might be united to him in fellowship, that we might be one with God in relationship. But it's also a calling. It's a calling to you men, husbands, to live your life in such a way, to love your wife in such a way that people look at you and say, you see the way that man is sacrificing his life for his wife? You see the way he loves her? That's how my God loves us. Husbands, you have a calling to reflect the love of God. Wives, you have a calling to reflect what it is to be in relationship with God. So that as you joyfully serve and submit and and love your husband, people can look at you and say, you see the way that woman is so excited about what her husband is doing, just wants to be with him? That's what it's like to be in relationship with God. To be so excited about who he is and what he's doing that you'll do anything to be with him, to have that unity. Husbands and wives, your calling is to be so united that people look at you and say, you see how those two people have become one? How they finish each other's sentences? Same hobbies, same taste. They, they love each other. That's what it's like to be united to God, to be wrapped up into his character, be wrapped up into his being. We have a calling as husbands and wives to reflect our God to the world. And what kills me sometimes is that this call to reflect God, that God has united us to himself, but we cannot be united to one another. That we are a disunified bride while Christ is our one groom. And I think this happens because we we don't submit to Christ. Verse 24, Paul assumes that the church is submitting to Christ. He says, now as the church submits to Christ. He's assuming that the body of Christ is keeping him as their head, as their authority, as their final say. That he is the one who's directing all of their lives. But we don't see that. At times, I see us choosing ourselves as authorities. We would submit to the culture or to other people's opinions over our God. And thus, we are disunified. That we let the anger and the bitterness we feel towards others harbor, and we divide ourselves. God has united him to himself, and the person that you can't stand, God has united himself to them as well. And in heaven, we got to look at this through the lens of heaven, that in heaven, we will all be standing side by side, worshiping together. So that anger or bitterness that you have here is going to be gone in heaven, and you'll be worshiping right next to that person. You'll be known, and you will fully know them. So why wait until heaven to get that stuff taken care of? Let us now be a united people, unified, that people could see us and say, man, that community is different. They they love each other in a way that I've never seen before. This is our calling as the body of Christ. So may we be a people who are united in love, who serve one another, and submit to Christ and to others before we submit to ourselves and our own authority. Wives, you are called to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. So wives, may you, as you serve your husband with joy and happiness, may you be a reflection to this world of the joy of living in relationship with God.
Husbands, you're called to love your wives as Christ loved the church. So may you, as you sacrifice your own status, your well-being, your very life, may you be a reflection of the great love of our God and King to this world. And may we be a people who cling to Christ and nothing else, who take our unity seriously, who love each other recklessly and unashamedly, and that through our body, may this world see the great love of our God and King. Let us pray. Father, today we look to your Son, Christ, as our groom. We are humbled that he would consider us his bride, that he and you would want to covenant with us, for we are an unworthy people. Jesus, you are the pure, spotless groom, remaining faithful to the promises you have declared, and we are a wretched bride, giving ourselves over to any lover who gives us a passing glance. God, you have covenanted with us, and we have only committed adultery time and time again. Forgive us. Today, we reaffirm our love for you, that is grounded in your first and primary love for us. We reclaim our love for one another, which is planted and rooted in your great, magnificent love. We need to be taught once again by your spirit the joy of service, the blessedness of submission, the sweetness of sacrifice, and the bliss of unity. May you, Holy Spirit, create in us the life that you've intended us to live. And as we are transformed into your image, Jesus, may the world see in us your love and the sacrifice that you have made for all. We pray this in your name. Amen.